a seat. Well, we're really glad you're with us here on Palm Sunday and uh, the, the Sunday right before Easter and, and the start of Holy Week. And, um, you know, as, as we uh, continue in this series, we started last week a new story. Um, last week we started talking about the fact that uh, everyone has a story. And if you're a follower of Jesus, God is writing this incredible story for you. And it's up to you whether you participate in it or not. And we're going to continue through that theme today. And, and, and really what I want to talk about today is, is kind of an obvious truth that if God is writing your story and he's writing mine, uh, although we have the same author, our stories are unique. And I mean, that, that's really obvious. I know that's not super deep or anything like that. I mean, the fact that if you are a stay-at-home mom, then your story looks different than mine. If you are a businessman, then your story looks different than mine. If you uh, sleep eight hours a day and uh, you eat properly and exercise, your story looks really, really different and confusing compared to mine, right? If you don't eat Cheetos for breakfast, your story is different than mine. And so our stories are incredibly unique, and yet they're connected. Has anybody, uh, you, you've seen the, the Marvel Universe of movies like Ant-Man and Iron Man and Other Man and when whatever. You guys seen those movies, Thor and, and Captain America. Anybody? Am I alone on this? Come on, guys. All right, there we go. Well done. You guys staying at home reading books, nerds? All right, so in those movies, they're all very, very different. They're very, very unique. I mean, you think about the movie uh, Ant-Man, which is one of my favorites. I think it's a really, really funny movie about this ex-con who, uh, who, who gets kind of tricked into becoming this superhero, basically, who shrinks down into the size of an ant or sometimes gets really big and gigantic or whatever. I don't know. That has nothing to do with ants. But anyway, so anyway, you've got that story. Or then you've got Captain America, right? You've got that, this, this really uh, uh, scrawny-looking um, dude or whatever. Not, not me, but in the movie, all right, you got this scrawny-looking guy. And, and through the power of steroids, you have the super soldier and kind of helps defeat the Nazis and Hydra and all these other things. Anyway, they're very, very unique stories, but they're all connected. Like, that's the incredible thing about these movies. There's so many movies out there now. Somebody out there knows the number. I don't know how many are in the Marvel Universe now, but they're all of these crazy movies. There are just tons and tons of them, and they're all connected. All their narratives are, they're connected to a larger narrative, and that's these movies called the Avengers movies, where basically they get all these superheroes from all these different movies, and they put them into one movie, and it's absolutely uh, just this, it's, they're really great, they're really, they're a lot of fun, I say they're really great, it's not a Citizen Kane, uh, but, well, I guess it would be, a Citizen Kane wore, like, tights and punched people, but anyway, like, it's, but it, it, they're, they're very, very good, so they're very unique but they're connected to this grander narrative. And our stories are incredibly unique. Your story does not look like my story. My story does not look like your story. And yet they're connected to this larger narrative. We are one in the body of Christ. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven together. We're serving with the same mission to make disciples. We're heirs of God in Christ Jesus. We're unique, and yet our stories are connected. And because of that, there should be some common themes that show up in our stories. Although they're unique, because we're connected, there should be some common themes. You think about all of these superhero movies, right? Again, very unique from one another, and yet they're connected to this larger narrative, so they share the same themes. You have themes like the most unlikely people can be great heroes, right? Or you got another theme like persevering in the face of overwhelming difficulties will result in a surprising victory. That could be a, a theme of all of these movies or 
Spandex isn't required to fight evil, but it sure does help, right? Like, so you see these themes through all of these different movies. And because our author is writing all of our stories into a grander narrative, there should be themes in all of our stories that are the same. We should be following the same themes. And today I want to talk about one that I think is often neglected. And that's a problem because when you, when you are living in a story and you get off theme, you, you have a bad story. Your story has turned into a bad story. Or, or at the very least, you have a bad moment in your good story. And I mean, i just give you an example. Uh, everybody's seen the classic movie Top Gun, right? Top Gun, right? Last year, that movie turned 30 years old. I mean, it's absolutely crazy uh, that that's been, it's been out that long. But but anyway, Top Gun, it's a, it's a good movie. It's a really great movie. It's a great story. And there's themes in that movie. There's themes like, like love conquers all, I think you could say, or, or, or like people, real heroes are flawed and afraid, but they choose to be brave anyway, or in life, people will try to stand in your way, or, or even pain doesn't have to be the end of your story, and for the most part, that movie holds to those themes, and when it does, it's a great story, however, there's one scene there's one part of that movie that doesn't hold to any of those themes whatsoever, and it's the worst part of the movie. It doesn't make any sense. It's just, it's just a bad part of the story because there is no story in it. Anybody on the count of three, you ready to name it? One, two, three. The volleyball scene. What is that about? Like all of a sudden you have this story of these heroes, and then they're not wearing shirts, and they have baby oil on. They're playing volleyball. Like what in the world? I was listening to a, a commentary by the director, and he said, you know the most difficult scene to shoot? You know what it was? It wasn't the aerial dogfights. I mean, they had fighter, like for the first time ever, the Navy agreed to attach movie equipment to their fighter jets to allow these movie companies to create these scenes where they're filming these fighter jets. I mean, that's incredible, right? Like, that must have been difficult. And he said, no, the most difficult scene to shoot and to cut and to edit and to put in the movie was the volleyball scene. Do you know why? Because he said it told no story. That's what the director said. He said it told no story. It's a stupid part of the movie. God, it's so dumb, right? And so anyway, like, in that, it's, it's not following any themes. You have this good story, and it's trekking along, and then it just dips, and it's just like, what is this? What in the world are we watching, right? And then it goes into, okay, we're back to a good story. I make the same argument for us. If we had these common themes, as God is our common author, we have these common themes that when we get off of these themes, we take our story to a really bad place. We take our story to a boring place. We take our story to a confusing place. We take our story away from where God wants it to be. So what theme do I want us to look to together um, today? What theme do I want us to look at today together? All right, so wording is good, language hard. Okay, let's find it together. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19. If you don't and you have a smartphone or, or whatever, you can uh, swipe, tap, whatever, get there. All right, Luke chapter 19. Look at verse 28 through 40. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some quick background while you're, while you're getting there. Um, this, so this narrative appears in all four Gospels. Not everything you read in the Gospels appears in all four Gospels, but this does. It's very important. It's a really big moment, um, and it marks the start of the Holy Week. At the end of this week, Jesus would obviously be crucified. It's a big deal. And so let me kind of walk you through this, this narrative. We're going to point out just a few verses there. 
So it's Passover in Jerusalem. It is packed, right? Everybody's in town for this feast and this celebration and, and the sacrifice of the Passover. And Jesus sends his disciples, say, hey, look, I'm going to ride in real quick, but go get uh, this donkey, right? Like, go get this real young donkey. Like, no one's ever ridden on it. Go get it for me. Um, and, they, and then he says, look, if someone tries to stop you, just say, like, that the Lord needs it. And so they do. They go get this donkey, and this guy goes, hey, what are you doing? And they go, the Lord needs it? And he goes, all right, all right, it's fine. So anyway, so they get the donkey. They throw their coats on it. Jesus sits on it, which is another, just one more of many, many, many prophecies Jesus fulfilled. And, and so he rides in um, on this donkey, and the, there's a crowd gathered to see Jesus. And it is at a fever pitch. Have you been in a crowd like that where everybody's just going nuts to see somebody? Have you you've been in somewhere recently like that? I, I was uh, just a, a couple months ago, we were in Atlanta and we were at the Passion Conference and, uh, and, and we were worshiping together and we're in the Georgia Dome. Just thousands and th- tens of thousands of, of uh, college students and 20-somethings are there to worship God um, together, and uh, and so we're we're in there, and it's just it's just this incredible experience. And in the middle of the Georgia Dome, I mean, you can't even tell because there's little ants down there. But but I heard that it was David Crowder that was down there, and so we're singing, and and you can see him on the jumbotron or whatever. And in the middle of one of his songs, this this female vocalist comes up on the stage and starts singing with him. And in that moment, like again, you can't see who it is. Until they put it on the jumbotron, they don't exist, okay? Because they're so far away. They're in the middle of this little stage, in the middle of the giant Georgia Dome. And then they put this singer on stage. And I'm, if, I have never been in a situation like that before. The place went bonkers, right? Like, for a second, I looked up because I thought, whoa, Jesus is coming back, right? Like, okay, so this is it. This is the moment. And so anyway, like, I'm like, well, what is happening? I look over at my wife. She has turned into an infant, right? Like, she can't form words. She's drooling, right? Like, she just like, <laughs> and she's so excited. And I look up, and it's Carrie Underwood on the screen. Yeah, I know. I just wish in that moment Jesus had taken the wheel and driven me home. Like, I did not want to be there anymore but it, the place went nuts, like absolutely nuts. And she's saying something about something being in the water. I think it's a song about Flint, Michigan. But anyway, so they're singing this song. And and, I, and anyway, the place went bonkers. Like everybody is just absolutely crazy. No one's singing anymore because they got their phones out and they're all filming, you know, her or or whatever that's supposed to be her down there on that little stage. But I'm telling you, the place went nuts. The energy in that room was absolutely crazy it was crazy and as jesus enters the city he's walking into or excuse me riding into that energy the place is going nuts and as jesus enters the city they're throwing their coats in front of the donkey they're throwing they're cutting down branches off of trees and throwing them in front of the donkey laying it down as he as the donkey like like just walks over all can you imagine this is happening people are racing to throw their clothes down in front of this donkey it's nuts and then in john 12 it says they're shouting hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord the king of israel or in there in luke 19 look at verse 38 they shout blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven i mean that's just that is a crazy place like that is some they're just losing it like this is some big energy and and Luke 19, 37 says why they were doing it. What does it say? The crowd had seen 
miracles. And if you look at John's account in John 12, it says that the people who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, they were already in Jerusalem. And they'd been in Jerusalem for a while, and they're telling everybody. You would not believe what we just saw. You know that Jesus guy? You know that teacher, right, from Nazareth, the one that they're saying is like does all these miracles and whatever? Listen, I saw him bring a dude back from the dead, right? This guy was dead for like four days. He smelled terrible, and he walked out of a grave. It was bonkers. I've never seen anything like it. So all of these people are now believing this miracle worker is here. This, this must be him. This must be our deliverer. This must be the Messiah. They could not be more excited. How would you describe this scene? Let's say you are the reporter tasked to, uh, to, to write a story about this in the Jerusalem journal. All right. So anyway, you've got to write about this. What, what words do you use to describe it? Like maybe electric or exciting or elated or any other E words you can think of. Email. What? Anyway, just like you just all these words. How about this? How about this? Would you describe it as joyous? Absolutely. I think they I think they felt a deep, deep joy in that moment. And the theme I want to pull out of this narrative that I believe is a theme that should be running through all of our stories as we follow Jesus is this. That we have joy in God. We have joy in God. Look back there at Luke 19, verse 37. Just, just read this with me real quick. Now he came near the path, down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. They're joyfully shouting out praise to God. I think that's the theme we see here. We have joy in God, and that's the theme that should be running through all of our stories. And do you see the reasons that they have this joy here in this Palm Sunday narrative? I mean, look look at the motivation. Let me just show you a few of their motivations. One, they believe that God is on the move. According to Luke and John, uh, the people had gathered because of the miracles they had witnessed. Like, God is doing something. God's power is doing something, right? He's bringing dead people back to life. I've got to show up. I want to see what God is doing. And so they're motivated. They have this deep, deep joy because God is moving among them. That is incredibly exciting, isn't it? To have the spirit of expectation that God is moving and doing great things among them. So there's deep joy there. Also, they're motivated because they believe God will save us. What are they shouting? Hosanna. What does that mean? Save us now. That's what that means. Save us now. You think about They believe that finally, they will no longer be aliens in Jerusalem anymore, right? No longer will they be ruled by someone else. Here comes God's Messiah. Here comes the, the one that's going to bring the kingdom of heaven here and establish it here and liberate us. Our nation will finally be liberated. Again, John 12 says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They're expecting this new kingdom is about to be set up. I mean, think about the joy that must have brought them to think that God is moving to liberate them like that. I mean, could you imagine living in an oppressed place like you are a nation that's been oppressed and taken over and dominated by this other nation and you get liberated? I mean, maybe maybe something in, in our world we could we could semi tie to that. Maybe that's what our forefathers felt in the, the end of the American Revolution. Their, their nation's been liberated. They have their freedom. And I, I guess the only way to know how that feels is, is if, like, you were there. So I don't know. Like, Dad, what was that like? Was that exciting? All right. So anyway, so maybe that's as close as it is to that feeling. Love you, Dad. So they believe that their deliverance is here. The new king is here. 
I mean, that's got to be a joyful moment. And not only do they believe God is saving them, but, but God is close. Piggy, piggybacking off of that previous point, God's people didn't feel that he was close at that moment. I mean, it's been 400 years since the last prophet had spoken. God was seemingly silent. I mean, think about that. No one at this point is left alive who remembers the prophets of God, who remembers the kings that led God's people, who remembers the judges. No one's alive anymore who was there who can remember all the things that God had done. I mean, but now he's here in front of them, right? He's right here. God is so close. He's brought his rescuer back to us. I mean, they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. What a joy-filling moment that must have been. But here's, here's my argument this morning. I would argue that we have the same motivations as these early followers, but with much, much deeper joys. Our the- We should never go off the theme of having joy in God, ever. And, and let me show you why. Let me give these motivations for joy in God. Number one, let's go back. God is on the move. They had a spirit of expectation that God was moving amongst them. We have an expectation and a promise that God is constantly moving for us. Not just moving amongst us, but God is moving for us. What a joy-giving thought. I mean, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I was talking to a group of friends recently and, and trying to trying to process something that had happened uh, with them, and it was something that kind of didn't make sense. It was real confusing. They didn't understand, you know, why did this happen and, and why was this happening and all these things. And and have you ever been there before where you're like, you know what, Lord, I, I know, I understand that I am not the brightest crayon in the box, right? I get it. I am not the sharpest tool in the shed or whatever other things, smash mouth things you want to say. I, I, I know that's not me, but this doesn't make sense. This just doesn't make sense. Like, I, how in the world, how in the world is this okay, right? And you've been in those painful moments. You've been in those confusing moments. So the other night I'm having this conversation with this group of people and, and there's something that was just going like in, in my brain over and over and over and over again. And it was the most peaceful thought. It was the most joy-inducing thought. And here it was. And, and I just kept saying it over and over again. If you were to talk to them, they'd be like, yeah, we thought, we thought he'd lost his mind because that's all he would say. I just kept saying this. Even now, he is working for your joy. Even now, even right now. Now, in the middle of the circumstance that you don't understand, in the middle of the circumstance that's painful for you, even now, he is working for your joy. Is there any more joy-inspiring, joy-bolstering uh, 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 thought than that? That right now, wherever you are, and maybe that's you. Are you going through a difficult time right now? Are you in a confusing place Do you not know which way is up and which way is down? Listen to me. And this isn't me speaking. This is God's words from Romans 8 right to you. Even now, he is working for your good. Even right now. Isn't that reason? That's a a huge reason for us to stay on that theme, to find our joy in God. Because not only do we have an expectation that God's moving amongst us, but we have an expectation that God is moving for us. Us. But not only that, it gets even better. Not only is God working for us, but God is moving through us. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, listen to this. 
I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That power that raised God from, that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and is in me. And check this out in Philippians 2.13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Our daily lives, as we try to obey God, our daily lives, these are moments, these are testimonies of God's divine strength working through us. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible that the power of God would choose to work through us. At work, this, this power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you at home when you try to stay patient with your children. God is working through you. At work, when you turn the other cheek, God is working through you. That's, that's incredible. Have you had those moments where, where God's been really kind to you and he's given you that moment where someone has come to you and said something along the lines of, God did this for me through you. Where someone gives a testimony of how God encouraged them or comforted them or changed their life because of something that God did through you. Have you had those moments? How does that feel? Oh, I, in those moments, like I'm on, I'm on cloud nine. I'm on cloud nineteen. All right, cloud nine's not high enough, right? Like I'm untouchable in that moment. Like I'm the happiest dude. Like you, whatever you want to do. Those are the moments to come ask me for stuff, right? Like you want my car? Fine, I don't even care, right? Like those are those are incredibly joyful moments that God would use me to do His work, and that's God's promise for you. The same power of God that is at work bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. The same power of God that raised His Son from the dead is in you and working through you. Isn't that incredible? None of us who are followers of God have been called to be spectators to the power of God only. We are participants with the power of God. That's remarkable. That is a joy-filling thought. The second thing, let's keep going. God will save us. You think about that. They believe that God's deliverance was for their nation. God will set up a new nation for them, but God's deliverance for us is far greater than just saving a nation here on earth. Think about it. He saved us. Ephesians 2 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that out of yourselves, it's a gift of God. We are justified as we stand before God. You and I this morning can sing to the Father, and He looks at us and He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see us as rebels, He doesn't see us as, uh, as enemies any longer. He sees us as his children. We've been justified by what Jesus has done. He's accepted what Jesus has done on the cross as penalty for our sin. He saved us. We can stand before God clean because he saved us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he saved us. That's a joy-filling thought. And he's saving us every single day. 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Every day as we get to know God better and as we submit ourselves to obey him more and more, he's changing us to be more and more like him. He's saving you from your temper every day. He's saving you from your greed every day, from your impatience, from your lust every single day. Every day, a little bit more work, a little bit more shaping to be more like him, a little bit more saving. 
incredibly, that's incredible news. That I'm not, I'm not on my own out here, right? I'm not out here just trying to change my behavior. God's gonna is molding me every single day. And think about this: not only is He saving us, but He also will save us. First John three two, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Anyone else in here tired? of that sinful nature hanging around. Anyone else just, you just, I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of, I'm tired of my selfishness. I'm tired of my anger. I'm tired of my lust. I'm tired of my apathy towards God. I'm tired of this, this old man still hanging around. Tired of it. The good news is this war within us will end. That's his promise. This war within us will end. And so even in the, in the, the most difficult moments I can praise God because every second that passes is one second closer to this war being over for me and this war being over for you. There's this, uh, this song that I love called Waging War. Um, it's by Shame and Shame. It's a, it's a song that if I'm in my car by myself, this will get me ugly crying. You know what I mean? Like one of those where you're just like, you're not like the, the stoic man crying where you let one tear roll, roll down right now. I mean, the <laughs> right, like you can't breathe, that kind of ugly crying. Let me read you the lyrics. That I might see this day, this waging war might go away and be no more. That I might see his face and hear him say, son, welcome home. The war is over. To see the Lord, the promised land, where, where in all sin's pearly gates look bland. And what was once a pearl, now sand that blows away. Oh, blow away, you waging war of sin. It will be over one day. One day, the Lord will say to us, son, daughter, welcome home. The war is over. Rest, rest. And so God saved us. He's saving us and he will save us. How what an incredible uh, joy, again, joy boosting moment there. Think about the last thing. God is close. You know, they, they believe that finally God is here. He's amongst us. I can see his deliverer. This is incredible. Like he's in the city with me. And think about how close God is to us now. In Jesus, you know the whispers of the enemy that are always trying to steal my joy. I feel like uh, he's got a greatest hits album out. You know what I mean? Like I hear the same things over and over again, and yet it doesn't matter. It's just as effective every single time that that, that I hear it, right? Um, but one of the ones he I hear a lot is you, you're alone. You're absolutely alone. No one knows what you're going through. No one feels what you feel. You are alone. No one cares. No one believes in you. You are alone. Do you know what Ephesians says? It tells us that in Christ we've been brought near to God. You know what Acts says? It says that he is not far from each of us. You know what James says? He says we draw near to God. He'll draw near to us. John 10, Jesus said no one can take us out of his hand. And Jesus said himself, I'll never leave you or forsake you. There is no unless to Jesus' promise here. I'll never leave you or forsake you unless you got yourself into trouble. I'll never leave you or forsake you unless others do. I'll never leave you or forsake you unless you have sinned. There are no qualifications. God is close, and there is no changing his closeness. He's a good father. He stays close by us. What a joy-filling thought that God is close to us, to me and to you. Right where you are. And, and forget this room. Go out. Go home. Go back to, to go, go to another country, right? Get on a plane. Fly halfway around the world. God is close to you at all times. It's an incredible thought. 
So we have all these reasons for joy. We have all these reasons to find our joy in God, to stay on theme, and yet we don't. And yet there are times we find ourselves off theme. Think about it. Think about that day Jesus rode in on that donkey. Was everyone feeling joy in God in that day? No, absolutely not. I mean, why? Some sought joy elsewhere. Look there in Luke 19. Look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. The Pharisees' joy, they weren't looking for it in what God was doing. It wasn't found in God. What was it found in? Their power, their position, their, their knowledge. We're smart. We know what's going on. They don't understand what's going on. Obviously, this Jesus guy is some crackpot, right? Like, he's, he's on the verge of, of, of being a, a heretical here, right? Like, no, 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 we don't. No, 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 they're, they're wrong, we're right, we will find our joy in our knowledge, in our power, in our position, and sometimes we look for joy in other places as well. Things that we believe will promise us our, will promise us uh, a deep joy, deep satisfaction, deep happiness. And so sometimes, but, but sometimes we're just too busy. We're too busy with the worries of this world to make happiness in God a priority. I mean, think about this. All the people that showed up that day, that saw Jesus, how many more people heard about Jesus and heard he was showing up that day and didn't show up. I mean, think about it. How many people stayed, maybe they were doing work and they stayed at their job. Maybe some were taking care of family and they stayed with their family. Maybe some of them, they just had other things on their minds. They had other plans for that day. And they went and they, they did those things. And they followed their other plans. We're often guilty of the same thing. We miss the joy of the Lord because we're too busy. We're just too busy. And it's killing our joy, and it's killing our story. So to close, how do we lean into that joy? Well, I think maybe one of the ways we can find a, a clue as to how to stay on that theme of, of joy in God is let's look at the people who did that day, who found joy in God that day. How did they lean into the theme of joy? And let me say this, because I don't want it to sound, um, I don't want it to sound too simplistic. This isn't, this isn't easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. This can be incredibly painful in a difficult place um, in life. But I think this is how we lean into that joy. So number one, we surrender. Luke 19, 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Why in the world were they doing that? I mean, you think about, I, I, I'm, I'm excited. You know, there, there are people that, that I'm excited to meet or I'm excited to see or, or be around or whatever. You know, like if I could... If I go to any concert in the world, I'd probably be, you know, Carrie Underwood. But anyway, as I, if I got, if I got to, uh, to meet her, oh, I'd be so excited. But you know what, you know what response I wouldn't have if I got to meet a, like a true, you know, like a true hero or whatever. In fact, I did. I, our, um, uh, we named our, our daughter Piper Grace. Uh, she's named after one of my favorite theologians and authors and preacher, John Piper. And I got to meet him. And when I met him, um, I was so goofy and just <laughs> right like I was so and he's like this tall he looks like a little banker right like anyway um he's just like this little just meek whatever and I was just so like hey I uh I love you right like I was just I was kind of wrong but you know what I didn't do for what I didn't go Oh man, it's so good to meet you here. Step on my jacket, right? Like I didn't, I didn't do that. That wasn't. I didn't feel like doing that. Like since then, I've thought about it. But like that in that moment, that wasn't a natural response, right? So what what did that signify? Well, to royalty, that would signify honor and, and surrender, right? And, and we see that in the Old Testament. They they they've done that before. 
for, for another king. You throw your jacket, you throw your coat down on the, on the ground for him to ride over. Look, I surrender to you everything I have in service to you. And the first way we lean into this joy in the Lord is we surrender. We lay down our cloak. Have you ever ridden with some? Let me say this. Who in here has a, they believe, a healthy distrust of, a, of the GPS system? Anybody? Anybody in here have a healthy distrust of the GPS system? All right, good. Look around. Everybody hands up. Okay, now judge them. Because listen, have you ever been in a car with somebody who doesn't trust their GPS and they insist on getting lost while their GPS is going, make a U-turn, right? Like, has anybody been in that position? Isn't it absolutely maddening where someone's like, no, I know where to go, okay? Like, I know. I'm not going to listen to a machine. I've seen Terminator, right? And they just keep following their own weird, like, compass. And where do they end up? Not where they want to be. Where do they usually end up? They end up lost. Now, some of you, you might be the exception that proves the rule, okay? And I believe everyone that raised your hand, you are that. But other people outside of here, they do that, right? Like, they get lost. And what do you do? You're, you're, you're going by your own compass, your own thoughts, your own directions, and, and you don't end up where you want to end up. And, and you know what? As I, as I think about that, like, Jesus came to save us from that. Not maps or GPS, but he, ca- he came to save us from, from driving ourselves around, from, from our control, because our control led us where? To death. That's what the scriptures say. Like our control outside of God, all that we can do outside of God is sin. That's it. All that we can do, our thoughts are selfish, our our words, our actions, all that we can do, our motivations, our heart is deceitfully wicked. It is broken at its core. All we can do is lead ourselves to places we don't want to be, places of consequence, places of hurt. But check out Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. You want to know which path leads to joy? The path of complete surrender. Not trusting your strength anymore. Not trusting your way anymore. And so let me ask you this. You want the joy of the Lord. Have you completely surrendered? Have you completely surrendered? Your resources, your attitudes, your ambitions, your talents, your time. Are you not experiencing the joy of the Lord? Is it because you're trusting yourself more than you're trusting him in that, with that situation? You're not experiencing the joy of the Lord. Is it because you're trusting a plan you're coming up with? Instead of going to the Lord with it, right? So is, is that something you need to do today? To, to take that first step onto the path of joy is surrender. The second is to reach. The crowds reached out to them. You know, I, um, I've never seen it in person. I'd absolutely love to. I, I would love to go see the Vatican. That is something that I've always wanted to do. I had a roommate in college go to the Vatican. Anyone been to the Vatican? Anybody roommate? Isn't it, is it amazing? Is it absolutely amazing? I, I bet it is. Yeah, so my roommate in college went. He came back and brought me this little, like, rosary with um, John Paul's uh, face on it. I was just like, is that the first beetle? Anyway, so anyway, he, he brought me this back, and, uh, and I was like, oh, man, it's so cool. And he showed me all the pictures and all this other stuff. And um, he said, you know, while we were there, he was there. And I was like, whoa, what does that mean? And he said, well, he was inside. And I went, oh, cool, did you see him? And he goes, no, but he was there. And I was like, oh, that's mysterious. All right, uh, well, guess what? I went to Disney World. While I was there, Mickey was there, right? Like, but I met him. But, you know, I would love to go to the Vatican, and I'd love to go there when the Pope is there. And I'd love to be, you, you, you see those crowds of people, like when he, like, walks through the crowds or whatever or rides through the, in his little, like, 
go-kart or whatever. Like, have you seen Have you seen those crowds of people? Anybody, when you see those crowds, you just, like, start hyperventilating? You're like, no, no, too many, right? No, that's a mistake, right? You get so upset. Not me. I want to be in that crowd. I want to, like, see that dude. Like, that would be awesome. If he came by, I would absolutely kiss my babies, right? Right? Like, kiss me. I don't know. Like, that would, be, that would just be a cool experience. I don't know. I'd like to meet the dude. But you see him, like, when he goes through a crowd, especially when he's not in his Popemobile, what are people doing? They're all reaching out to him. You know, they're all trying to touch him. They're all trying to grab him. That happened to Jesus all the time. Remember the woman who got healed that way? There's so many people pressing in on Jesus. The disciples have no idea. Everybody's touching Jesus, right? Everybody's trying to get close to him. Everybody's reaching out to him. And this woman reaches out and grabs his cloak, and, and she's healed. Through her faith, God heals her in that moment. In this moment, as Jesus rides in Jerusalem, that's what this crowd is doing. They're reaching out to him. They're shouting out praise for him. And if we want joy in God in every circumstance, we don't want to leave that theme of our story, then in every circumstance we should be doing the same thing, constantly reaching out to him, constantly. One of my favorite scriptures in Hebrews 4.16, it says, uh, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may, me, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You know, when I think of that scripture, I normally apply that to my sin. You know, when I've messed up, I can go to him, and I can go to him boldly. Not arrogantly, but I can go to him boldly, knowing that what I will find is mercy and grace in my time of need. But you know what? I, I think this scripture has a, has a broader application, too. I mean, what does it say there? You'll find grace to help in what? In a time of need. Well, you know... In these moments when I'm hurting, I'm really needy. You know, in these moments where life doesn't make sense, I'm very, this is a time of need for me. In these moments where there's a circumstance that's happened to me, I have no control over it, I'm in a time of need. These are the moments where the enemy tries to steal my joy away, tries to get me off theme to, to not find joy in the Lord. And God says, you come to me right then. You reach out to me right then and you will find grace and mercy and help in your time of need. What a great father that we can reach up to him and he'll help us. I love it in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, come to me, you who are laboring and you're heavy laden. I will give you rest. You come to me and I'll give you rest. What a great, great father. You know, when my children are hurting or they're scared, I want them to come to me and, and I want them to find mercy and grace in the time of need. I think about the other night, my, my son Witt, our youngest, has been sick. You know, just this like, he's got this real smoker's cough right now. And, and he's just got like this, it just won't go away, you know. And so he wakes himself up coughing. And he had a fever for several days. And so he was just, oh, he was just so, you know, just this pitiful and sad and you know, we'd put him in bed, and then Angela and I would go downstairs and try to go to sleep for like an hour until we until he woke up. And, um, and so anyway, the, the other night, he woke up crying, or he woke himself up coughing. And he woke up, you know, when kids wake up in the middle of the night, they, they're kind of, they're not all awake, they're confused. And so he's confused, he woke up, he didn't feel good, and he's just screaming, crying at the top of his lungs. And he doesn't know why, he doesn't know where he is. And, and so I run up there, and I grab him, and I hold him, and I hug him, and I rock him kiss him, and I tell him, I, I love you, I love you, I love you, it's okay, it's okay, shh, it's okay, and I'm not trying to get him to stop crying because it's annoying me, I'm trying to get him to stop crying because I, I want him to be comfortable, I want him to be comfortable, and so shh, don't cry, it's okay, no, it's okay, would I rather be asleep? Absolutely, right, 
Am, am I feeling, am I feeling like just really wide awake in that moment? No, I'm not. But my imperfect love for my child overrides all of that. And I just want to comfort. It's okay. You can reach out to me. I'm okay. I'm here. You yelled. I showed up. I'm here. It's okay. I love you. And that's my imperfect love. How much more should we expect of our Heavenly Father who says, if you come to me, if you're hurting, if you're, if you're upset, if you're overworked, if you're stressed out, if you're being crushed under the weight of the worry of the world, you come to me and I will hold you and I will comfort you and I will give you rest. What a good father. Maybe some of you, your joy is not in the Lord right now because you haven't reached out to him. Why? Because you can't take your hands off of what you're doing. You can't take your hands off of this worry. I can barely hold it together. I don't, I don't have time to reach out to him. Would you let go? Let go. And let our father grab you and hold you in his arms and say, shh, it's okay. It's okay. I love you. It's okay. In fact, right now, let's, let's just close this way. Can we just bow our head and close our eyes? Listen to me. Listen. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, listen. He's waiting for you right now. His love for you is perfect, and he's waiting for you. Reach out. Do you want the joy of the Lord back in your life, back in the middle of the circumstance? You can have it. Reach out right now. Just reach out to him. You say, how do I do that? Just tell him, God, this hurts. This circumstance is too much. This sin is too much. This temptation is too much. This doesn't make sense. It's too much for me. Just reach out. And his word says that mercy and grace and help are waiting for you. His word says that rest is waiting for you. Listen to the Father's heart towards you. You are so loved. You're so loved. And our Father is so big and powerful and strong. The mountains that would tell you right now, you can't overcome us. You'll be crushed by us. They're telling the truth. You can't. Scriptures say that the mountains melt like wax before our Father. So reach out to Him. Reach out to Him. Be honest with Him. And let Him do what our dad does. Let Him comfort you. Let Him move mountains. Let Him work for you. joy is still so imperfect. You haven't surrendered. You're still trying to do it your way. Reach out to our Father. Confess it. God, I've tried to I've tried to live by my own thinking. I've tried to live by my own ways. I, I do what pleases me first. I don't consider you. Reach out. You know what's helping? You know what's waiting for you? The same thing. Mercy and grace. Respond to the 
to you, I hope, like children. Saying, we want your joy. I want to find my joy in you. I want a joy that will cause me to shout like those people did on Palm Sunday. I want a joy that will cause me to dance like those people did on Palm Sunday. I want a joy that causes me to throw it all away because I don't need anything else. I don't need it. God, would you help us surrender? Would you help us reach out? I know the enemy's been whispering to all of us in this room, you're alone. You can't reach out. He won't reach back. The only thing waiting for you is judgment. The only thing waiting for you is punishment. God, would would you bind those thoughts from our minds? God, would you expose them for the lies that they are? That God, the only thing waiting for us as we approach you is mercy and grace and help and rest. So God, may we respond and worship freely in this moment because we've been set free. God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done this morning. We love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing, let's respond. However the Lord's leading you, let's respond.